In relation to the Green Deal, the starting point is very, very different. We've got some member states that have invested very heavily in renewable energy offshore, for example, over the last decades. And other member states have coal regions and are still looking at how to best make a transition out of that. And that's where we can help them with the mechanisms from Brussels. Welcome to Energy 360, the podcast from the CSIS Energy Security and Climate Change Program. I'm your host, Lisa Hyland. This week, we are joined by Dita Jewell Jorgensen, Director General for Energy with the European Commission. She sat down with my colleague, Nico Safos, to discuss details of the recently announced European Green Deal. They talked about elements of a just transition, the framework laid out by the EU to be carbon neutral by 2050, and how to keep forward momentum for the energy transition across Europe. Let's turn it over to Dita and Nikos now. Thank you for being here. So let's maybe start at the beginning. Uh, You're here in part to talk about the European Green Deal. Give us the short version. What is it? What, uh, What are you trying to accomplish? Well, the European Green Deal is about uh, achieving a climate-neutral Europe in 2050, but it's also very much a growth strategy uh, and a strategy of how to make best use of our different policy instruments to bring about the change that is needed, but also doing it in a way that ensures uh, 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 cost-effectiveness of the measures, affordability of energy, a just transition, bringing all Europeans uh, on board and make sure that everyone uh, is part of it across Europe. And then, of course, it has a very strong international component because the changes that we're making, the green transition, the energy transformation, um, will have to build on close cooperation with our with our partners, including the US. And so that's part of what I'm here to, to talk uh, to my counterparts about. Fantastic. So one of the things that I wanted to sort of get your sense on is, as you just said, the European Green Deal is a lot of different things. And when I read the various documents, there is mechanisms and action plans and funds and policies Mm. and directives. Um, Could you give us a sense of, you know, if you could only accomplish some of these things or what are the top of the list in terms of your priorities that if you can accomplish during this commission, you would say this would be a successful sort of start towards that 2050 goal? Well, the Green Deal is also a a catalogue of of actions, a roadmap for how to get there. And as such, it reaches across all policy areas from energy policy that that I'm working on, which I think is really at the centre of the Green Deal, because uh, our energy consumption and energy production represent about 75% of greenhouse gas emissions. And so, in other words, we need energy policy to achieve our our goals. And we need energy policy to make sure that we can achieve our objective of a climate neutral Europe in 2050 in a cost effective way. Um, But we need all policy areas to work together. So agricultural policy, industrial policy, our regional policies, cohesion policy, um, and so I would say what we need to achieve and what we need to do over the next five years is to really implement the, the roadmap and the catalogue that we've set out for ourselves. But for me personally, it's the energy policy aspects. Walk me through a little bit the instruments that you talked about. Obviously, you know, when we think about the European Union and what the European Union is, is good at, a lot of it has to do around rule of law and establishing policies and directions and maintaining and keeping competitive markets. When you think about this challenge, are you happy with the toolkit that the commission has? Are there tools that you wish you had that you don't have? Do you see uh, sort of the toolkit evolving over time to meet these targets? Um, or do you think that what you currently have in your sort of toolkit is, is sufficient for the purpose of achieving the goal? 
I think of all of the, the things we're trying to achieve at, at European level together, we will need to rely on all of our toolkits. So both the toolkit that's with the Commission in terms of our ability to make legislative proposals, um, our programmes for, for regional funding and support, including the, the Just Transition Fund and the Just Transition Mechanisms, um, but also our um, our capacity to work with our partners and negotiate internationally. I think we have a lot of, of good instruments there. Uh, and I think that's enough for for what we do in Brussels and with the Commission. But of course, a lot of the action and a lot of what's needed to make the change happen and to achieve the objectives of the Green Deal, a lot of that will be done nationally or even locally. So, for example, um, member states are making changes in their energy mix, and that's a, that's a national competence. And there's a lot of scope for different choices there, depending on whether you... Um, have the uh, the geographic location that allows you to install photovoltaic and and gain sufficient energy from that, or whether you have a, co- a windy coastline where you can put in place offshore wind, um, and so I think making that an, a national competence and a national choice makes a lot of sense because conditions are different. Similarly, in relation to the Green Deal, the starting point is very, very different. We've got some member states that have invested very heavily in renewable energy offshore, for example, over the last decades. And other member states have coal regions and are still looking at how to best make a transition out of that. And that's where we can help them with the mechanisms from Brussels. So I think essentially that the change will happen nationally and locally, also in cities, local authorities, which is why we, we work also with, with the Covenant of Mayors for that local change, or we work with our islands for clean energy islands where there are specific challenges. So I think it's the right mix, it's the right combination. Um, I think where we can still do more and do better is how do we learn from each other? How do we take inspiration from each other? So how do we develop best practices also between member states? One of the um, instruments for that are the national energy and climate plans that all member states are drawing up, where they set out a specific national plan for how to achieve the targets we've set ourselves for 2030 in terms of greenhouse gas emission reductions, but also renewable energy and energy efficiency, research and innovation and and internal market uh, measures. And hopefully that will give both a good instrument for internal coordination within national governments and at different levels of government, uh, but also between member states, between governments to to share uh, practices and, and experience. Maybe if I could get you to expand a little bit on, you, you talked about the idea that the energy fuel mix is a national competence. And obviously, in the overall context of the Green Deal, it must be a constrained competence uh, that you can't do whatever you want because you have to sort of follow. So how do you think of that balance and particularly the pace? I mean, what you described is that countries are starting from very different uh, positions. They have very different levels of ambitions, different fuel mix. Is this going to be a trying to get everyone at the same pace? Is it going to be a sort of multi-tier change? How do you think about that transition happening across the 27 now states. Hmm. I think the way that will will unfold and the way we best make progress is to recognize the the national differences or the regional differences and see well how do we best how do we best help each uh, region but also each uh, each citizen become part of the transition and be included in in the change that's taking place so that everyone benefits as much um, as possible. So I actually think that division of labor is a strength because we um, regulate or we take action at the level where it can most effectively 
uh, be taken at European level if that's what's needed, but at national or local level where, where that's needed. So I see it more as a strength than as a challenge. One of the things that has gotten a lot of attention uh, is the Just Transition Fund and the help for the uh, primarily coal regions, but not exclusively. Maybe let's start from a brief description of it and the conception of what you're trying to accomplish. Mm. So the reason for the Just Transition Fund and the broader trust transition mechanism is that we recognize the uh, the social component of the green transition and of the Green Deal. Um, we need to make sure that everyone um, everyone is on board, that it's a fair and just uh, transition. And we can see that that will require some support at European level through the Just Transition Fund or the Just Transition Mechanism. One of the important instruments of that will be the fund itself, which links into our cohesion policy, into the, the regional support uh, that we give and where we... Um, are identifying well what are the regions that will need support, what are the regions that will have um, a particular challenge as part of the transition. So that could be regions that are dependent on, on coal uh, extraction or, or coal power. Then in addition to that, there's a broader mechanism uh, of support. All of this would rely on national transition plans or regional transition plans of well, what, what is needed in this region, what is the scope for change. A lot has, of course, happened already. You've got some European regions that have already moved out of coal by national or local decisions. Um, but you also have other regions where that process is ongoing. So coal regions that are trying to expand into uh, e-mobility and, and battery um, production, for example. So being part of the energy transformation and trying to build industries um, around that. So that's the basis for the action we're we're taking. I think more Generally, that social component of the action against climate change is very visible in, in all of our societies. You see a very strong public engagement. You see a lot of young people um, taking to the streets and seeking action. Um, and at the same time, see a lot of concerns around, well, what are the impacts for me? What does it mean? Does energy become more expensive? Uh, will, will that make my daily life more complex? And that's what we need to make sure that we go about the transition in a way that also becomes, as I said, a growth strategy, that we uh, make best use of the opportunities for uh, for jobs, growth, industry, trade and investment to gain the benefits from the transition uh, and to help mitigate any short-term uh, difficult circumstances or, or changes that are part of that. So this is a problem that this country obviously has grappled with as well, both on the energy side as well as the sort of reduction in industrial manufacturing jobs. As you say, the European Union has been at this for a while. The member states, uh, depending on which one you look at, has been at it for a while. What have we learned from that process? Is this something we're good at doing? Uh, and in particular, as we think about sort of lessons that we can take from our past experience to dealing with the energy transitions. You know, how do you how do you think about that? I think we've been going through a, a significant transition already in our societies over the last, well, several decades. Um, and the transition we are going into as part of the, of the energy transformation and in our climate change policies is maybe to some extent a continuation of that. It's not a it's not a one moment transition or transformation. It's it's a more dynamic process where we've already started it within the European Union. We've started it as part of the way we regulate energy markets, for example. We have what we call the clean energy for all package and we've built an energy union to make sure that we have the right regulatory framework and the right infrastructure to 
handle the energy transformation, both in terms of integrating higher levels of renewable energy into our system, but also uh, in terms of having functioning markets, having interconnectors between European countries and having a genuine European energy market, which makes us much more resilient and makes us uh, allows us to have a more competitive and cost-effective energy and, and markets. You've mentioned a few times now this idea of pairing the Green Deal with growth and opportunity. And so I wanted to maybe spend a few questions talking about industrial policy um, and maybe to make this a little bit more concrete. Uh, one of the elements that stands out on the energy side, at least, is batteries. Uh, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your thinking on batteries and in particular, you know, what can the European Commission at that level do to essentially uh, spearhead this process of making Europe more competitive in this area? Mm. Well, I think, first of all, in the industrial policy strategy that we are preparing in uh, in Europe, the relation to the Green Deal is is a central element. So the industrial strategy is part of the, is part of the European Green Deal. Um, in relation to batteries specifically, it's one of the different energy storage um, aspects or, or possibilities that, that we're looking at expanding and, and, uh, and building. We established um, a few years ago the European Battery Alliance, and that's being taken forward um, across Europe. And we will continue to build on that to strengthen our capacity in relation to batteries Um and I think we need innovation, we need new technologies, and so we need to look into our research programs and make sure that we have funding for research and innovation, but also that we become uh, better at uh, deploying the new technologies that are developed and creating markets for those. I think, again, an important aspect of that is international cooperation, to have good dialogue, for example, with the United States, um, where you're very advanced on a number of these technologies and where there's real scope for cooperation and dialogue in the interest of both the United States and the, and the European Union. In relation to energy storage, as I said, batteries is one, is one way of, of doing it, but what we also need to look at, and again, as part of the Green Deal and as part of the research and innovation component of that, are other aspects or other possibilities for energy storage or energy uh, through other energy carriers, such as hydrogen, for example, is one that we're that we're looking at, and again, where I think there's room for for transatlantic uh, cooperation. We're also looking at heating and cooling as a as a way of storing um, and transporting energy. Uh, so there are many different aspects to energy storage that where we need to to develop our technologies and, and our markets. If I can continue with that theme um, on industrial policy, you know, I can think of two different elements that will resonate with an American audience as well. Um, so I was wondering if, number one, you can talk a little bit about your innovation strategy and what mechanisms the commission has to uh, spur innovation. And secondly, you know, a lot of the debate, at least in this country, is how do you find that balance between experimentation but also steering the direction and, and sort of you know, in, in the US, we call it you know, picking winners. Uh, so, you, so you want to pick something. Uh, but you don't want to pick too soon. Um, so how do you, one, innovation, and two, how do you find that balance between giving the direction but leaving enough room for experimentation and, and sort of the market deciding the right approach? Mm. Well, first, on, on our innovation policies, we have at European level a research uh, 
program, a research, significant research budget, which we call Horizon Europe, and where we have uh, agreed now to spend at least 35% on energy and climate related research. So that's an important contributing factor to the Green Deal. In addition to this European level budget, we of course have national research budgets. And so the cooperation between those different levels is important. Uh, and I think, again, a useful factor in building innovation because you've got different uh, competing uh, sources and, and programs. The public budgets for for innovation and for research are, of course, the smaller part of it. The reality is you need a lot of private funding, a lot of, of private investment uh, to that. And I think we are, in Europe, good at innovating, uh, but we can probably become even better also at deploying the, the, the new technology uh, and making good use of it, um, including in, in cooperating with others. Um, as regards the green transition and the energy transformation, um, it's important that we allow room for different technologies to develop. I don't think it's possible to to identify one or two types of technology that will bring us there. There's a lot of different technologies. To give you one example, we've got our fusion project, again, together with the US and a number of other country, countries, ITER, uh, which is more of a, a longer-term project uh, and hopefully will become one one of the components um, of a clean energy future. But we cannot do that alone. We need at the same time to further develop the renewable energies that we that we know so that they can become more efficient and effective, such as wind and solar, but also hydro. Um, and we need to develop other components. The decarbonization of gas, for example, uh, is another one, or hydrogen, clean hydrogen. So we need to develop a number of different technologies uh, in parallel. And I think we need to be very careful in, in terms of um, picking a winner because we can't allow ourselves to pick the wrong one. So we need to have these competing technologies and also um, to get, again, the most cost-effective uh, solutions. You talked about the private sector needing to obviously play in a huge role. Um, I wanted to ask about one element of that, which is the European Investment Bank. And uh, the documents of the Commission talk about it becoming a climate bank. And so I was wondering if you can explain what that means and, and what you think it does in the broader strategy for the transition. Mm. The European Investment Bank um, is indeed placing itself uh, and, and with European support as a, as a climate bank. So trying to focus more of its lending operations on, uh, on climate-related uh, uh, funding and climate-related projects. Uh, concretely, the, the European Investment Bank revised its, um, its lending policy uh, and agreed to shift away from fossil fuel related projects into, uh, for example, infrastructure projects that are, are more uh, future proof um, and that support the European Green Deal and, and the green transition. I wanted to maybe drill down into a couple of specific sectors to get your thoughts on what is happening. One is I was excited to read that you're hoping to create a renovation wave uh, in terms of building. So I was wondering if you can talk about that and in particular help us understand the instruments that exist at the European level for bringing about this kind of wave. Energy efficiency is one of the key components in, in, the, uh, in the Green Deal and in the green transition because the cleanest energy and the cheapest energy is the one we don't use. So we have a principle called energy efficiency first where we aim to make sure that whatever we do, we first check, well, could we, could we reach these objectives by energy efficiency? We see that buildings are a significant 
part of our energy consumption, not half, but close to it. Um, and so there is significant scope for decreasing our energy consumption through action on, on the building stock. And what we see in Europe is we have a fairly old building stock in, in general. Uh, so there's a lot that can be that can be done there. Switching to a different sector, transportation, um, there was a lot of things in your proposals for transportation. So I wanted to make you maybe break down the question into a few components. One on cars, obviously, uh, what we're seeing across the world, including in Europe, is the desire for a cleaner passenger vehicle coming up against the preference for SUVs and more energy-consuming vehicles. So maybe that's one. Um, But I also wanted to make sure that we talk about trucking and uh, there's a great desire to switch from essentially road transportation to waterways as well as uh, rail. Um, And then obviously, you know, marine and and aviation. So I realize that's a lot. But um, just wanted to get your sense of where you see the opportunity set and and what your thinking is in each of these sectors in terms of driving change. Well, I think first the transport sector is indeed an important part of the European Green Deal, an important part of of the green transition. Um, And that goes across all sectors of transportation. So, for example, we're looking at sectors not covered by the European emissions trading scheme and to see, well, do we need, what do we do? Do we need to enlarge the scope of the emissions trading scheme? There's no decision taken on that yet, but that's certainly one one component or one possible aspect of what we are, what we're doing in policy terms. At European level, we are uh, also taking measures on on fuel, the, the quality of fuel. We've got a renewable energy directive that sets certain requirements for uh, for fuel. The changes to that will enter into force soon, and so we'll start seeing the impact on the markets um, of that. In addition to that, we are looking at, I mentioned hydrogen before, which is also a potential uh, source for, um, for larger transport uh, sectors. And then, as you mentioned, the aviation and, and shipping and the maritime industries are looking at, at fuels there and what can we go about changes there. Um, a lot of that is, of course, also done by the sector itself, by industry itself, looking at, well, how do they see their energy future and how will they bring down energy costs and, uh, and emissions from, from their sectors? I wanted to switch now to the carbon adjustment tax, which I'm uh, sure did not come up at all during your visit in Washington. <laughs> um, I know that you're currently in the process of, of studying the mechanics and thinking about, you know, how this might be implemented. Uh, the two questions I had about this is, one, if you give us a sense of what the conversations are like with your counterparts, what are people saying, how concerned they are, what kind of questions are they raising? And two, how will that fit into the broader European Union foreign policy? At this point, it looks like this could be a source of tension with both China as well as the United States. Um, and obviously, Europe has a multi-layered relationship with both of those countries. So, you know, how do you think about achieving this goal versus other goals that the Commission and the European Union have vis-a-vis these partners? Well, first of all, I would say in my meetings here in, in Washington today, there's been a great deal of interest in, in the European Green Deal in general and questions about, well, where are we with the different measures? How do we see that process unfolding? Um, and in relation to a possible carbon uh, border adjustment measure, it is at this stage about process. We are carrying out the preliminary analysis and impact assessment, looking at, well, what are the different options for uh, for approaching this? Um, what we have set out from, 
from the very beginning is that we want to make sure that any measure we take is compatible with our international obligations, in particular the rules of the World Trade Organization, compatible with our with our bilateral relations. Uh, we want to look at it a, on a sector basis to see, well, where are the risks of carbon leakage significant? Because the objective of a, of a border adjustment measure would be to, to limit carbon leakage, to make um, climate change action effective, make sure that we that we move in the right direction, bring down greenhouse gas uh, emissions. Um, but as I said, it still is very, very early. We're, we're analyzing the different the different options and carrying out impact assessment. And so therefore, at this stage, it's really difficult to say more about it. How does the European uh, Green Deal interact with our global governance for the energy transition? Obviously, we have the Paris Agreement. We have, as you said, a lot of individual countries doing experimentations. We have a lot of fora where these topics are being discussed. How do you see the European Green Deal as as an instrument or interacting with those other initiatives and efforts? Hmm. Well, first of all, I think within the European Union, um, we are deeply committed to the multilateral system um, in, in its different forms, be that the Paris Agreement or the World Trade Organization or other um, multilateral uh, agreements um, or fora, uh, and that applies also in the in in relation to the Green Deal. And so, whenever we can, we will be engaging with our partners, having open discussions, and and find that solutions with others are typically the best solutions. But there are areas where there is not yet global consensus and so it's also important that we take action ourselves in Europe and try to bring about change and show that you can make a change you can lower greenhouse gas emissions uh, while still seeing economic uh, growth and can do it in a way hopefully that creates growth and and that benefits both Europe but also also other countries in the world if I can stick with that uh, multilateral or international dimension uh, one of the topics of conversation between the United States and Europe these days is obviously natural gas. And my understanding is that the Commission sees a role for natural gas in the European energy mix, but there's also recognition that that gas at some point has to be decarbonized. And I guess my question is, what does that mean? And, and at, what, at what point does kind of gas have to be decarbonized? Or how, how do we think about one of the elements of the the strategies avoiding sort of the lock-in effect. Our experience uh, shows that setting clear long-term objectives and targets in terms of uh, greenhouse gas emission reductions and renewable energy, energy efficiency, is a useful way to create regulatory certainty and investor certainty, predictability of markets, and that will help us move in the right direction. Um, As regards natural gas in particular and investment into infrastructure, we have made significant investments over the last decade, uh, which has helped us diversify our our supply of of gas, going from, from primarily natural gas from one source into several different sources uh, and also having LNG as part of as part of that mix. So we see quite significant investments in, in this sector that has been extremely helpful in terms of uh, costs and competitive markets and energy security, and which we think sets a useful basis also for the for the future 
with decarbonisation of gas. So one of the things we will be looking at is, well, how can the infrastructure we have, our LNG terminals, or other parts of our infrastructure, be used also in a future where we're looking at decarbonised gas? Um, some of uh, the European member states already have projects and are already looking at that concretely. Well, what would it take to update infrastructure to that? Um, the other thing we're looking at is a revision of the regulation we have on trans-European uh, networks to look at uh, how do we adapt the regulation to the Green Deal and to the transformation, the energy transformation we are uh, we are in, so that we make sure indeed that our investments are aligned with with our policies and that, and that the infrastructure we built become part of that of that energy transformation. One thing I wanted to get your thoughts on is. How do you think about success? Uh, clearly, greenhouse gas emissions is the number we're trying to solve for. Um, but what else counts as success in, in your book? How will we know if this is working and if this is a good idea uh, besides purely the emissions number? I think the different components of the of the European Green Deal are all part of defining that success. So I mentioned uh, previously just transition, fair transition. So inclusion of all parts of Europe and and of, uh, of citizens of Europe. Um, I mentioned the competitiveness, the growth aspect. I think it's important that we go about this in a way that also supports our economic growth and, and supports our, uh, our societies um, as a whole. Uh, I mentioned security, security of supply. We need to make sure that all of those different aspects are built into uh, are built into the action we take and the initiatives we take, so that it's a balanced transformation and a and a balanced transition we engage in. And then there's the international component. We are only really successful if um, if there is a broader uh, change and if we if we manage to work closely with partners to make the the necessary changes and make sure that as many as possible benefit from that. I think some of the challenges we see in Europe, for example, in coal regions in, in transition and the initiative we have there, those challenges are also seen in many other parts of the world. Um, and so hopefully we can uh, gain some experience and, and find help find solutions to some of those challenges that are shared in different parts of Europe and in different parts of the world as well. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Find more episodes of Energy 360 wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on Twitter at CSIS Energy.